HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. of food and drink sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat for more information visit mofad.org you're listening to heritage radio network we're a member supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from bushwick brooklyn join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing behind the scenes of the restaurant industry inside the battle over school food and beyond find us at heritage radio network what do you call yourself if you eat meat and fish, but not that much meat and fish? A reducitarian. We've got the reducitarian solutions Brian Kateman on for our second show, Exploring Moderation. It's Monday, April 17th, and this is Love Bites Radio. Welcome to Love Bites Radio, coming at you live from Heritage Radio Network. I'm one of your hosts, Jacqueline Raposo. I'm 35 and single, and you can find me as at Words Food Art. You got that whole sentence out. I did. <laughs> Amazing. I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I am your other host, Ben Rosenblatt. I'm 34 in a relationship, and you can find me as at Ben Rose NYC. So, second show on moderation. Second show on moderation. I think I'm just going to introduce Jump our right guest. into it. Brian Kateman is the co-founder and president of the Reducitarian Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to reducing meat consumption to create a healthy, sustainable, and compassionate world. He is a TEDx speaker, a leading expert on food systems and behavioral change, and an instructor in the Executive Education Program at the Earth Institute Center for Environmental Sustainability at Columbia University. Welcome to the show, Brian. Well, thanks so much for having me. And you have an exciting day tomorrow. You've got a book coming out. Woo! Woo! You, you must be exhausted. You I excited? am exhausted, but I'm super excited. It's Yay. been a great ride. I bet. So uh, after the break, we're going to focus on that specifically. But um, why don't we kick off our show with a little chat about moderation with food in general? Um, what do you guys find you have a hard time not eating to excess? What do you think? For me, it's French fries. French fries. <laughs> Specifically. What I don't are, know what it is about them. What to you is a high level of French fries? 
What'd you say? What to you is like a high, like a Ooh. like a big amount of French fries. Like, is it is it that you eat them all the time, or that like once you eat them, you, you know, can't stop eating them? You know, I think in terms of eating too much of something, chips for me, and maybe this is a theme. It's the salt. The you salt know, like potato. I'm not yeah. a, I love sodium too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh God, yes. Yeah, I'm not a dessert kind of guy. I guess it's really the potato chips, and I guess French fries are heavily salted too. So right. I feel like once I start, I kind of can't stop. You just can't stop. What about you, Benjamin? Yeah. It's the Pringles. Mm. Slogan: Once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> um, I have a similar problem, I think. Except I am probably way less conscious about changing it than you are. Um, I pretty much just eat. I, I think my issue is that I'm not really. I. It's kind of sad for me to admit, especially in front of our guest today, um, that like I pretty much just eat whatever I want, whenever I want. Too. I'm not, I, I don't do a good job of like monitoring my diet. And so, yeah, I eat really salty things. I eat really a lot of fried food, a lot of meat, spicy, <laughs> high cholesterol options. Right. Yeah, we haven't warned Brian that he has two very different eaters <laughs> in the room with him that last week Ben had mentioned maybe that he would never give up his, his hamburgers. Whereas I like moderate, I like, you know, hyper analyze all of the food that I eat to a very ridiculous degree. But what's, what would you say is the thing that you think you have the biggest trouble? Well, what I learned in November through my study of zero sugar, that even like my low levels of sugar, that I had a much more emotional connection to sugar than I thought I did. Like as soon as I couldn't have my glass of wine for, you know, 30 days when things were getting rough. And as soon as I couldn't have even like my healthy brownie, as soon as I didn't have that, like it was, it was more the emotional connection. I didn't have a physical withdrawal, but it's sugar for me. It's something sweet. What was the emotional impact of not? I just wanted the comfort of that kind of thing. Like I wanted something to self soothe. And for me, it would have been having a glass of wine or having a hot toddy or having like, even when I eat brownies, I don't eat like my Tate's gluten-free brownie was my thing, but I'd eat like a third of it. But the fact that I could eat a third of it at night, like as my little treat in bed before I went to sleep, like it was an emotional comfort. And so not having that, not necessarily because it was only because I'd only discovered them a couple months before, but it was like the emotional, like the self-soothing, like the treat, the happy, like it was looking to the, the wine or the sugar to make me feel better or to be happy. Like, do you guys have that emotional connection to French fries and fried food or? I definitely do. I mean, I grew up in Staten Island, New York, and you know, that's not the most progressive of, uh, of places in New York city. I grew up, we go out to eat Applebee's and have a hamburger or mm. chilies and have Buffalo wings. And I think, you know, I think of the times in my family, a lot of it was centered around me in particular, you know, a hot dog at a baseball game or yeah. something like that. And our biology is also changing. You know, all the food we're eating is so processed. It's filled with right. sugar and fat and salt. And so there is this, this cultural part, but there's also just these, I don't know, intuitive urges we feel toward food. And for me, those are the most um, difficult and almost annoying to resist at times, I think. Uh. Yeah, I think for me, I don't I don't know if I would say it's necessarily an emotional thing as much as it is, is like a lifestyle like thing. Like a habit. Whereas like, yeah, like I don't necessarily want to carve time out of my day to prepare my meal so i'll just like grab something easy cheap that's a problem for a lot of people they I just, just can yeah. like throw in the microwave even maybe right and like those aren't necessarily gonna be the healthiest options that's a legitimate problem for people who don't enjoy cooking and preparing food is that they have a harder time planning things that are healthier for that reason yeah i i do in fact enjoy cooking and stuff like that but and the other thing is too that like when I'm by myself, I'm more likely to eat unhealthy and quick options. Whereas, like, 
I'm more likely to cook and prepare food if I'm with someone else. Right. Because like that feels more like an activity I want to share with someone yeah, or, or if I'm making something I feel like proud that like, oh, this tastes good and this other person is enjoying it. Whereas mm-hmm. like for me, it's like I don't really give a shit. You know, I'll just. Right. Do you find that you, you're eating what your parents ate or what you mm. grew up with or you've sort of changed? <sighs> I think I eat less healthy than I grew up with. Oh, like interesting. I, yeah. I... Uh, I eat healthier than I grew up with, but I was sort of forced to because I have an illness that sort of forced me to, like, figure out how to use food as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. But that is interesting that you've digressed. <laughs> <laughs> it speaks to my... Uh, Your mother's coming on in a couple of weeks. She's not going to be happy with you, Benjamin. I know, I know. We already had me on with a psych- psychologist, so right. I think we can skip the... Uh, that portion of we're gonna ask you that question we're gonna bring that back to you in the second half of the show i think but let's move on to our game let's move on to our game so last week listeners if you listened we had sarah rabo hagan on uh who was a lot of fun talking about moderation in work for her book extreme you stand up step out kick ass repeat which went on sale i think april 4th so recently went on sale and it's a really awesome book and she was a badass guest and we had so i tested her and ben it was really embarrassing (laughs) i tested her and ben about Brian's book, which comes out tomorrow. And Brian, I'm sorry to say they got, well, the, the bar is low for you because they got everything wrong. You got every single question wrong. It was the most embarrassing. Yeah. Granted, I sort of, ever. I sort of, I sort of. There were a couple trick phrasings in there. Because I thought they were going to get them all right. So I tried, so I sort of mod anyway, they got them wrong. It just goes um, to show how much there is to learn from the reduced That's solution. right. Exactly. <laughs> including that what I'd started off with by saying is that it takes 20% to of a reduction to cause a positive impact. And so I thought I was being like, no, it's okay. It's only 10%. And they were angry at me for the wording of that. <laughs> anyway, so today we're going to do, you guys, same rules as last week. This is just true or false. You're both on the same team. There's three questions because I want listeners to hear a little bit more about Sarah's book so that they can get them. Right now, there is a blog post going out on lovebitesradio.com that has links to both Brian and Sarah's books and has the answers to what we're discussing right now. So here we go, gentlemen. It's just, you're on the same team. True or false, three easy questions. You got this. Okay, we can do it. True or false, being extreme Sarah Rabo Hagen, she was able to turn PepsiCo's drop in sale with Gatorade around in only three months after launching her bold, brave G-Line campaign. That's a short amount of time. I know, but now, and now I'm looking out for like trick things here. <laughs> like it might have been only two months, you know? Oh, that's true. And she could be Jacqueline. You, yeah, like, I think I think you might be right. Maybe it's quicker than we realize. I, I mean, three I'm months go, would still be impressive. Uh, three months would be impressive. I would say my guess is true, but if your gut is telling you, oh no, false, we have a conflict already in our game show here. Face. <laughs> no, let's go with true. Uh oh. And then if you're wrong, you can feel guilty. Okay, good. <laughs> Vitor, hit the false button for ah! me, please. God. I'm going to wait for it. Hit the false button, Vitor. There we go. Oh. Thank you, Vitor. So, no, that was false. I, yeah, I'm you, not answering any more questions I'm in your, for the rest I'm of the time. I'm in your brain. <laughs> it took well over a year after the oh. campaign first launched and over 18 months after Sarah first joined PepsiCo for profits to stop falling and to turn up. She battled against, quote, the way things were. She wrote a whole Jerry Maguire manifesto, like putting her job on the line to get her boss behind her on the campaign. She had to power through presenting it to investors to get the whole campaign continued. It took cojones. I am just to get such a believer in Sarah yeah. that I thought that could have been true. I know, true. and she started the job. She got the job for PepsiCo, and she figured out she was pregnant for her third child. But this, but the reason why I loved the question and wanted to, and wanted to include it, 
because like, you know, it's like she turned Gatorade around and made it this like this company that's still increasing in profit. But like it took her a long time. Like it was hard. It was not like she's not an overnight, you know, success. All right, Brian, you're on your own on this one. (laughs) No, I need you. So the next one, true or false? Sarah and I share a guilty pleasure in our love for the Gilmore Girls. That seems so true. (laughs) Based on our shortened time together. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to confirm Sarah loves it as well. Yeah, I think so. What do you think now? Oh, I didn't see, think of she that. Just, oh no! She just, said Sarah and I share. A I know. So you just like you like Gilmore girls. I, I'm gonna say. Oh, this is difficult. Oh, shit, I don't remember. I'm an intuitive person. I say we stick. I, you, true. I'm going with you. He said true. It it's true. is true. Yes. There we go. Early in her launch of the G series, that newly branded Gatorade line, uh, when Sarah was giving birth to her daughter Gabrielle, the launch was a frantic mad dash of rebranding and the revenue was still falling, but she was spending much of her maternity leave, quote unquote again, uh, managing the campaign between feedings and then at night soothing herself, indulging in her favorite guilty pleasure, the Gilmore Girls. But do you see, Brian, mm. how Jacqueline makes you second guess yourself? <laughs> that, was, that was sneaky. And that's why, it, try Last spending one. every week. <laughs> I make you second guess all of your decisions and your beliefs in the world. I'll take it. True or false? Is this a real quote, a true quote, or a false quote? To remake yourself, you have to be willing to break yourself, start over, and be a beginner again. True or false? Is that a real quote from Sarah? Seems wise to me. I think it seems very wise, and I would say true. It is true. In her final chapter 10, break ding, your... Ding, there, there we go. go. I know. Beecher's, he just got <laughs> Sleeping at the wheel over there. In her final chapter 10, break yourself to make yourself. Sarah shares experiences from her, plus Condoleezza Rice, singer Amrita Sen, and the artist Mr. Cartoon about how seemingly unrelated experiences and skills can all be broken down and rebuilt into new ambitions and careers. She says, each time, even though you've been used to kicking ass, you have to be messy and humble for a while. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who constantly fails at things and tries to hope that she can rebuild them into something new. I loved that. So that is our true or false. Good job, guys. Two out of three. That, to according, to, according to like, wait, wait, don't tell me you won. You got two out of three. So Brilliant. Awesome. And I just want to point out that Brian, in fact, got three out of three. <laughs> I was the one who dragged him down <laughs> but to it was, my level. For... It was way more fun with you. So oh, that's thanks. what matters. That's Aww. very sweet. Thank you. Well, uh, <laughs> listeners, you can find more information about Sarah's book, Extreme You, on our website, lovefightsradio.com. And before we go into our commercial break, this is the last show of our um, spring season, our winter spring season. And so we're taking a two-week break after this and coming back to you on May 7th, 8th. May 8th is Monday. Yeah, May 8th uh, with my mother in the booth and hopefully Ben's mother on the line for our Mother's Day show. And so, listeners, if you have any questions that you want to, uh, to ask our mothers in general about life or to ask our mothers about me and Ben, uh, you can message us. Oh, no, don't do those. <laughs> I just did it. I did it. It's done. You can message us on social media. We are at Love Bites Radio, or you can email us, lovebites at heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, so that's going to be exciting. And then Heritage has a couple new shows coming up, and I want to tell you quickly about two of them. Wednesdays at 5 p.m., Sari Kamen. She was on our show during our ending series. She's starting Food Without Borders, covering immigrant cuisine. Each week, she'll speak to a guest about how food has been a way to bridge community, stay connected to their heritage and enterprise in the United States. So we're really excited about that. And then Cynthia Cherish Malloran, she already has a show on HRN, and she is starting a new show covering all things weddings. So we obviously have some overlap there and are excited and sending her some ideas her way. Uh, plus, she will be part of a special two-week show in our new, begin- our new beginning series uh, that we're doing after our Mother's Day show. That's our next series coming up on new beginnings after our six-week studying endings. 
I think it's time for springtime and, and happiness and starting over again. And Cynthia's got a fascinating story about recovering from a major accident that left her with amnesia and then a couple of years later getting a very aggressive form of breast cancer. So we're giving her two shows to talk about how those experiences made DJ cherish the love who travels all over the world and opens for a tribe called Quest and DJs for Oprah. She's just so badass. So we're excited about both of those things. So, um, yeah, you got a couple we- a couple of weeks to look forward to that and stick around while we have a commercial and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher. Or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Brian Kateman coined the term reducitarian a person who is deliberately reducing his or her meat consumption of meat. And when he did so, a global movement was born. (laughs) In The Reducitarian Solution, he presents more than 70 original essays from influential thinkers on how the simple act of cutting 10% or more of the meat from one's diet can transform the life of the reader, animals, and the planet. That's deep, Brian. (laughs) That is deep. So I I just want to start by asking you... What did moderating your intake of meat and fish mean to you personally, and how much did you eat and have to pull back? Yeah, I think. well, I think the, the thing to know is this started out for me in college. I had always been sort of that environmentalist who was telling people they should recycle or they should do take shorter showers or other environmental... Which you should. You should recycle and take shorter showers. Absolutely. I love a long Absolutely. shower, though. <laughs> no, I'm like your worst nightmare, I think, <laughs> as far as like the opposite of all the people, how the way you think people should be. I don't think but, so. I think I think you might fit square into perhaps the the audience, the, that yeah, the, this the average person, oh, yeah. Yeah, in a sense. Um, but I think people often think of things like taking a shorter shower or recycling, but they don't think about their food choices. And I know for me, I didn't. I thought I was doing everything I possibly could to help out for the planet, but it turns out factory farming impacts our planet in a tremendous number of ways. Everything from, you know, hurting many, many animals to hurting our health and, of course, accelerating climate change, stemming loss, about hurting biodiversity loss, um, et cetera. And so when I found that out, that was mind-blowing to me. I mean, I really wanted to align my 
my actions with my values. And so I decided I wanted to become vegetarian. And that worked out really well for a while. I felt better and I was happier, but I wasn't perfect about it. I mean, there were these moments where I sort of found myself, I don't know, not being perfect. There was one Thanksgiving I remember in particular. I was with my family and I took a piece of turkey. And I remember my sister calling me out across the table. You know, I thought you were a vegetarian, Brian, as siblings Mm -hmm. will do. And I tried to explain in that moment that it's not about being perfect. It's not about a sort of all or nothing premise. Every single plant-based meal we had is one that has fewer admissions and wasn't responsible for farmed animal Mm -hmm. cruelty and was probably better for our health. And so for me, it was a pretty gradual change. I mean, over time, I started to integrate more plants in my lifestyle. I think I first started out by eating a lot of pasta, which was probably not the, <laughs> the which, best which way to go. Which a lot of people, especially in college, the friends that we had that went vegetarian, it was pasta and pizza, basically. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it uh, takes time. I mean, I, right. you know. Figure out what else is out there. Yeah. Right. And I wasn't, you know, I never had quinoa before, let alone knew right. how to say it. Um, right. And so uh, I think it was a gradual change. I think for me, I realized that I had to keep it simple. And so if I were was going to Chipotle, for example, to get a beef burrito, I'd get a guacamole burrito instead. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't complicate it with these elaborate plant-based meals. I would just stick to what I knew and try and incorporate mm-hmm. more plant foods into the meal. So for me, it was a pretty gradual change. And how does that work today? Like, what's your balance of, of <clears throat> excuse me, of meat and fish to vegetarian meals? Yeah, these days I don't eat a lot of animal products at all. And I never really expected that that would be the outcome um, mm-hmm. of this journey. You know, I never, I never really was specifically promoting veganism or vegetarianism. I just want us all, including myself, to cut back on the amount of animal products that we consume because together, if we all do our part, it's going to make a much larger difference than a small number of very committed people mm. doing something. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm making smoothies every day now. I mean, I've definitely upped my reducetarian game, um, <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm, still, uh, I'm still not perfect about it in the sense that I still occasionally have animal products, but I don't crave it as much as I used to and I don't know. I'm just happy with, with where I'm at. So given that, you know, we're running a series on moderation right now, is that why, why moderation as opposed to elimination? Why cutting back as opposed to being strict about yeah. it? Well, I think when you tell an, you know, an everyday person that they should go vegan or go vegetarian, I think what they hear in part is that they should give up every lo- everything that they love, all the foods that they love, mm-hmm. all the times that they love, with, which just a very, I don't know, it feels like an intense ask to me, at least for someone like myself who wasn't familiar with plant-based eating at all. And the truth is that most people aren't interested in going vegetarian or, or vegan. And um, the other truth is that people who eat less meat are more likely to go vegetarian, and people who are, are vegetarian are more likely to go vegan anyway. I just hated the pressure of having to be perfect all the time. And, you know, when, when a vegan accidentally or intentionally eats animal products, we, we sometimes call them a cheating vegan. Right. Or if someone's a vegetarian and has meat, there's these drunk drunkitarians. People seem mm. to eat, eat meat when they're, when they're drunk. Yeah, there's uh, so many jokes about bacon being like the gateway for like vegetarians who will eat bacon a couple times a year because bacon – and there's a lot of – sort of think pieces about vegetarians eating bacon like it's this horrible guilty satanic sort of aspect of vegetarianism that's just sort of absurd i I think you're absolutely right and that's what i didn't like i didn't like that i was doing i was doing so many good things why was it being called a lazy vegetarian or cheating vegan when you know what we call someone who eats 200 pounds a day the average american we call them an omnivore right that's such a much more uh, sort of nice term than terms we might use for someone who's trying to do uh, better by themselves on the planet. And so I really wanted to move away from this all or nothing premise around meat consumption and, and really celebrate um, plant-based eating rather than 
making it be something that's stressful and impossible for people to, to even start out by trying. What do you think is the hardest thing when you when you're approaching with this idea of reducitarianism to people who start at let's just say the average American consumption of meat who aren't even necessarily looking to reduce their consumption? How does that conversation sort of start as far as being like why they should pull back or how they should pull back? Like where is the initial like hey have you thought of this? Yeah, I think it's really challenging to to reach people with a message that resonates with them and part of it is thinking is is thinking about what might appeal to them and if you can actually have a conversation with them to find out a little bit more. You know, I know for younger people animal rights and environmental issues is a really hot topic. The average vegetarian is half the carbon footprint as a meat eater. It requires 10 times the amount of water to produce one pound of meat as opposed to one grain protein. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are 70 billion land animals worldwide that are suffering on these incredibly cruel farms. And that mm-hmm. speaks, I think, to younger people. You know, someone like my my dad who eats meat all the time, I'm just like, hey, dad, I want you to be around on this planet for a long time. You know, if you simply eat a few more fruits and vegetables each day, you're going to decrease your chance of heart disease and, and cancer and diabetes. And you know, I think that message speaks to him. So you don't even uh, more. say like you didn't even talk about reducing meat. You just say eat more plant-based foods. Exactly, and I think it's that's, under- a, sm- that's a smart. That's a very smart approach. Yeah, and and I think to your point, that's that's uh-huh. the the challenge is people feel like they're missing something. You know, right. it's the center of the plate. Um, it's it's. It's really just I have so ingrained in our culture of eating. I mean, I feel that way. I feel like if I am not, if there's no meat product in my meal, that I'm just having a snack. Like, Mm. like it doesn't really feel like I've eaten a meal yet. Well, I have. I didn't tell either of you that I was going to do this, but knowing Ben's eating habits and knowing that we have you here, like I wanted to like. So you've heard a little bit about Ben's eating habits, and you just heard a little bit more. Like, so how would you? For both of you. So, Brian, how would you, like, start the conversation with Ben specifically? And, Ben, what would it take, do you think, for you to actually, with what Brian has been saying so far, make you think about reducing your impact? So, Brian, what would you say to Ben as far as, like, why he should maybe? Well, I suppose that's really the first question is you've heard a little bit about why reducing animal products might be a good idea. Is there one particular cause area that perhaps speaks to you more than another? Yeah, I mean, I would say... Probably selfishly, it's a. It would be health concerns. Sure. It sure. would be like, look, if you continue eating so much meat and especially like fried food and unhealthy food, fried chicken and all that, you know that it's gonna like you're not you're gonna die, <laughs> or sure. you're or you're gonna have heart disease, or you're gonna have high cholesterol, and all sorts of problems can arise from that. So I think that would probably be the first thing that would cause some cause an alarm to go off for me. Okay, and what are a few of your favorite meals that you routinely eat? I mean, meals... Uh, I mean, I'm, uh, I eat probably buffalo wings probably okay. several times a week. Okay. Um, that would be really hard for me to eliminate. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's one for me. Buffalo wings, it's something about the... I don't know if it's like the association with football or just the good times we've had or the, the, the taste. And that, I have to say this, that's why one of the recipes actually is a cauliflower buffalo dish because I wanted a recipe that had that kind of spicy flavor but was instead of having a meaty version of it, having cauliflower. And so maybe a question for you is, are there any fruits and vegetables that you currently eat that you enjoy eating? Love Brussels sprouts. Okay. Love asparagus. Okay. Um, I I like I actually love fruit, but I don't eat a ton of it. How about smoothies? I don't drink a ton of smoothies, but I do like them. Okay. Cool. Well, one thing I, from my perspective, one thing you should maybe try is just one 
plant-based food tomorrow. Just commit to trying one thing. And for me, something I love to do was making smoothies. I mean, I just throw every day, I throw some strawberries, some blueberries, a banana, and soy milk, almond milk. I mean, it tastes like a milkshake. It's just so delicious. And I don't think there's anything, any deprivation there. It's super easy to make. It takes me five minutes every morning. What do you do morning. for the protein component? I just throw some chia seeds in there. And that has some, that has some, some black seeds. I do also throw in protein powder. Um, but that's another common myth, I think, is around how much protein you need. You know, most people are getting two, three times as much protein as they actually need. And, you know, uh, nuts, beans, tofu, would any of those? I'm curious. Would any? Do you eat any of those already? I eat some nuts, okay. and um, I'm not a huge tofu fan. You sure? Okay. Um, How about beans? Beans, I'll typically eat when I'm eating something like I'll throw them in a burrito or something like that. Okay. You know, but how about the veggie burrito scenario? Instead of instead of <sighs> See, beef, you like, throw in some fajitas. That's a tough sell for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe something I could try. I don't know. I. The other thing is, like, things sound like really good ideas to me, and then I just kind of fall back into my old habits, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think part of it is a discipline thing for me. Interesting. I think well. it helps to have people accountable. you know, you got to email me, or we can go out for, for dinner one night, and that'll right. get, you, get you started. I think sometimes we talk a lot about theory, but if we just – one very small thing we commit to, it might help um, get you on the path. But you're absolutely right. It's very challenging. Most people are choosing foods for taste, convenience, price – not because of environmental issues or even their health. Well, now that Ben has learned something, what what's something that you learned from compiling these essays from? Because what I was telling Ben before the show that I loved is I love this sort of scope of if you want the religious argument, here's the religious argument. If you want, like, I, forget, I feel horrible that I forget who wrote this essay, but it was a very sort of, like, want to eat more vegetables? Fall in love with vegetables. Like, mm-hmm. think about, like, think about the earth. Sharon and Palmer's essay. Yes, yeah, Sharon Palmer. I loved that essay because that's how I, that's how I eat. Like, I eat very sort of in the hippie world of the earth and what things are good for me in life and blah, 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 blah. So um, what did you learn from this collection that you feel like, if there's one that sort of stands out that you feel like, oh, that did change the way I thought through this process a little bit? Yeah, you know, I knew a lot about why someone should eat less meat. So I knew that it was good for my health and for the environment and for animals. And there were lots of interesting things I learned along the way. But I think the part that excited me most about the book was why we eat so much meat in the first place. There are all these essays that look at all the various cultural and socioeconomic mm. and price factors. And I mean, that essay by, um, uh, by Anastasia about the military's influence on meat eating. I mean, who knew that we had to figure out a way to, to mm. feed soldiers a pound of meat um, every day and it was expensive to ship and expensive to create all that food. And so what we saw was there were these scientists who were contracted to actually change the the constitution of the meat. I mean, this is like the start of Salisbury steak and these TV dinners and these processed foods that we now see mm. in McDonald's and, and Burger King every day. And so just all these all these sort of factors that I never even thought about having worked in this in movement for several years, inviting these these contributors um, to provide essays on the topic. Uh, some of the essays also focus on what we can actually do about it because it could be depressing, um, not necessarily just, just speaking to you wonderful people <laughs> about how challenging it is to get people to eat less meat, but just understanding the scope of the problem. And I like that a lot of the essays focus on what we can do about it. So the future of food, you know, there's all these exciting plant-based um, options that are coming into the aisle, whether Impossible Foods or Beyond Meat. I mean, the Impossible Burger here in New York and the West Coast is just incredible. It's It really, I think mimics quite wonderfully the experience and taste of meat. And I think that's a really exciting solution that allows people to have their meat and eat it too. 
They can, they can, use, they can use that slogan. I'm, I, I, I've been thinking since we even just had that little conversation about, for me, why I think eating meat is so, like such an important thing for me and something that's tough for me to let go of. And I think it's part of, part of my identity is that I eat meat and that I, like you maybe said, like eat wings because the game and that kind of stuff. And I'm curious if you noticed anything since you made this shift for yourself, changes in your identity, changes in your life and relationships and, um, you know, how you view yourself in the world. Yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, one reason I love the word reducitarian so much, besides the fact that I'm biased and coined it, is because I think it <laughs> speaks to this identity question, you know. We're not telling people they have to label themselves or identify in such a way, but when it is, when a process is latched onto your identity, you're much more likely to sort of be consistent and to stick to your, to your habits. And so um, I definitely feel like I'm a person who's trying to reduce the amount of animal products that I consume. But I do think the, the most, I don't know, alleviating feeling about all this is that I no longer feel pressure to be perfect. And I think that for me has been a real benefit, not only in my, the way I approach food, but in every part of my life. We just put so much pressure on ourselves to be a good person all the time. And I think that's wonderful. And we absolutely should strive to be the best person we can possibly be. But, you know, just because we accidentally yell at a loved one and, we, and we're, we're sorry about that, or perhaps we did have, you know, a meaty meal or fried food or something, and then we feel bad about it. It's so much better to look at all the positive things we've done over the course of the day or in our life and move on from that and accept that we're not perfect and flawed and not discount all of those other really beautiful things that we did beforehand and that we'll do afterwards. It's interesting, the power of permission and sort of, you know, as a kid, but even as an adult, if I'm told I can't do something, I kind of want to do it more. Whereas like if I'm told you, yeah, it's okay if that happens, then I'm less, I might not even want it as much. Well, and it's also, I think, the beauty of this idea of moderation that we're discovering, I feel like this is a great sort of end note, is that it takes off. I found that both in, um, in having friends or my own explorations of eating meat and not eating meat, or like I've been off gluten since childhood, and I've seen so many people come up to me and say, I'm going off of gluten, and they're just as hardcore as friends I've known who have become vegetarian. But then as soon as they mess up, the pressure just has them giving up and all of a sudden they go back and forth. And I think there is something to be said for thinking about the long game, like you said, like not taking away all of the other things you've done because you mess up and beating yourself up and then negating all the progress you've made. Like there is that sort of, yeah, like having permission to just be and to do your best and to take some of the pressure off. I think that's, you know, closing out our two show series on moderation. I think that's a beautiful just sort of way to look at it instead of having to be all or nothing about life. Just like doing the best you can somewhere in the middle. Anybody? Cheers to that. That's well said. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Well, um, thank you so much for coming on and joining us, Brian. Congratulations on your book tomorrow. Very exciting day for you. Uh, Listeners, you can find more about Brian and the Reducitarian Foundation at www.reducitarian.org and on our website with links to purchasing his book as well. And Benjamin, we're off for two weeks. May 8th. I don't have to see your face for two weeks. Oh my God, lucky you. I miss you already. Um, so we will be back with our Mother's Day show with our mothers, and then we're following up with our new You're sending series. mixed signals all over the place. I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, this is how I keep you on your toes and losing the game. Um, and then we'll be back with our new beginning series. Uh, so remember, you can send us any questions about this show and our thoughts. You can review us on iTunes and on Stitcher. Uh, we are at your disposable as at Love Bites Radio. At your disposable. At your disposal as at Love Bites Radio and Love Bites at Heritage Radio Network. 
Facebook.org. Until May 8th, thank you, as always, to our engineer, Vitor. Our theme song is Give Love by Josh Dion. We are Jacqueline Raposo and Ben Rosenblatt. Love Bites will be back in two weeks here at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. See ya. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. And talk.